Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. It's Adam. It's been a while since we last talked with the old host of this show, Mike Wolf. But on today's show, Richard and I are going to catch up with Mike, hear all about what's been going on in the food tech space with his events and with the blog over at The Spoon. Hope you enjoy our discussion. This is Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey, Adam. Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm excited that we are joined today by our friend and colleague, Mike Wolf, the originator of this show, founder of The Spoon, the Smart Kitchen Summit, a whole bunch of other stuff. Mike, how are you doing? Good. It's it's good to be back. I feel like a, it's a homecoming of sorts. It is a homecoming. It's back to your home. <laughs> we are the stewards here. I wonder, I, I'd love to know how many people still listen from those early days. And I, I'm sure what you guys have done a great job is, is actually increasing and expanding into new audiences. You know, I think we probably still do have a good amount of your audience. Because even when we started, I think we had a a, a good amount of listeners right away. So I suspect that a lot of people were still subscribed to your show at the time. And we do get listeners who write in and say, you know, we listened to the old show. Now I listen to the new show. The old show's a little bit better, but we'll listen to you guys. All right. That's fair. <laughs> that's totally fair. <laughs> Anyways, good to have you back. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, we always open the show with a question. So uh, the question is for Richard this week. Uh, we talked about the HomePod Mini on our last episode. Uh, I know we both ordered one. What do you think so far? So I literally set mine up yesterday. We're probably talking about 24 hours ago. So all I can really talk about is my onboarding experience. But so far, I am fairly impressed. They were incredibly easy to set up. They're very sturdy. They have decent sound. I think it's far better sound than I get out of my Dot, as an example, or out of my Google Mini. I don't have a Nest Audio, so I don't really know how to compare it to that. But so far, I'm fairly impressed. And I bought two. I, I think when we spoke, I said I was going to buy one. I bought two because I wanted to try the stereo pair thing. And they do sound pretty good in stereo. But, it you know, it's not a high-end audio system. It's not going to compare with the HomePods themselves. What I will say is that its ability to hear me under any conditions is amazing and as good as I had hoped it would be based on past experiences. How about you? Yeah, I would say the same. I I still think that that kind of wake word ability and uh the mics in in the HomePods are probably some of the best in in the industry. 
it's incredibly tiny. I I didn't expect it to be that tiny. Um, it really is mini. Um, but yeah, I, I also got a stereo pair, uh, two of them. They're currently in uh, our master bedroom. And uh, I think they sound great. They definitely knock the socks off of any of the small Echo devices. And, you know, I think I'm just eagerly awaiting the more and what else of that ultra-wideband radio. So I think we'll have more to talk about when they finally unleash that capability. Uh, Right now, all you can do is uh, beam audio to it quickly. I haven't even figured out how to do that. What's the trick? It's, It's like on the side of the device. So you just take your phone playing audio, put it on the side of the device. And the cool thing, too, is you can also go the other direction. So if there's audio playing on it, you can bring your phone up to it, and it'll kind of suck it back to your phone and play on that speaker instead. I was writing about ultra-wideband like 10, 15 years ago. Right. And it's always been the technology <laughs> that was coming but never has arrived. And are you telling me that Apple is actually using it? Oh, it, it's, in, it's in phones. It's in okay. the Apple Watch 6. It's in uh mini home pods but uh they're not really using it yet so it that that promise we're still waiting on that that promise to come and you know i think we would love to see it used for more like in-home positioning stuff that would be really really cool um but it's not there yet so my understanding was it's always like this super fast wide highway bandwidth technology but had a lot of difficulty getting through walls and kind of perpetuating through like long distances is that still is that the case with uwb yeah i think the 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 whole story is that it can offer really precise location um and so it knows proximity between devices really well um but it's for you know very short range type stuff it's in there we'll see we'll see where it gets used and um right now it just it does cool audio tricks (laughs) which is Good enough. I just have to figure out how to get that working. All right. So, Mike, did you manage to survive the uh, trifecta of Apple announcements? You know, yeah. I mean, I don't pay as close attention. I have been waiting literally uh, four years almost to get a new phone. So, like, the one big Apple impact in my life and my household's life has been we've all upgraded, literally four of us, to iPhone 12s. Over the past month, so oh, that's good. You know, three, three of them have arrived. I'm still waiting mine for mine, but uh, yeah, I don't quote pay as close of attention. And I, I know that in terms of like their impact on smart home and audio, it's been interesting here. You guys with that your 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 minis and the talk about that. Um, I'm interested. It is interesting to me how much focus they put on the microphone because that was always I thought a strength of uh, the Amazon Echo. But it sounds like Apple's actually maybe even made it better. And what we're seeing that goes, is that right? Oh, I, I think it's much better. In my experience, it is much, much better. Yeah, I actually thought it wasn't working on my big HomePod. I was having some trouble. And then uh, I think somewhere in my like software upgrade process, it had sh- I had turned off the wake word listening. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's why it wasn't working. <laughs> that would explain things. That'll hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Works great again. So, yeah, uh, if you do want to submit a question for us to open the show, uh, you can always send that on Twitter with the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. All right, Mike. Well, while you're here, of course, your area of focus these days is food tech and smart kitchen. And we want to talk about both, but I want to start out with 
smart kitchen stuff and just kind of get a feel for what is, in your opinion, what are the big things that are going on in the smart kitchen space these days? I, I think when we were at CES, when you had your event at CES, Food Tech Live, we saw some cool things there. A lot of what's happening in food tech has seems to have more to do with food than devices these days. That's kind of interesting. But of course, I'm always interested in the gadgets and looking at ways of making my home and smarter, my home and kitchen smarter. So curious about your thoughts on the space in general. Yeah, I mean, I think this big vision of the super connected smart home um, with all these embedded and ambient sensors around, I think that's slowly evolving and coming towards us. I think what we're seeing in the near term is just a lot of embrace of a few different categories in new kitchen and cooking. A lot of it's on the countertop. So very, very short term, what's selling now uh, over the past couple of years has been obviously things like Instant Pot. The air fryer has actually been kind of very – that category, air fryer, over the past 12 months has been very, very hot. And the pandemic has a lot to do with that. People are staying home. They're cooking frozen food. But – I would say that there are a number of different devices competing for this all-in-one multifunction device, whether that's smart um, stand mixers, whether that's new multifunction smart ovens, the uh, Chef IQ, which is actually the, sh- uh, the company that spun out a Chef Man, basically took an air fryer, added a, a scale into it, and made it a little even smarter than an Instant Pot, and that's actually doing really well. Time Magazine named that like one of their top 100 inventions. 2020, which is kind of surprising to see a pressure cooker get that. Um, But I think a lot what we're seeing is just, you know, consumers are wanting things to make their lives easier. And so whatever it can help them cook, they're embracing. No one's really figured out, I think, this super futuristic tech forward smart kitchen stuff with, you know, ovens with lots of sensors. Those categories, those products haven't been selling, I think it's fast as a lot of people originally anticipated. I think June is interesting. They came out with their third generation appliance. They've been smart enough. They have reduced the price a little bit. I bet. You bet. You bet. You did buy the June third, third generation. I have a pre-order in, so I am waiting for that to come. I'm very excited. I, I had kind of been looking at them and, and waiting for the right opportunity. And when they announced the new one, I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. I think I saw you tweet about it. And I, I actually, around the time they announced it, I, I went and bought and still sitting in a box. I've been so busy the last couple of weeks, the, the Whirlpool W lab smart oven, which they debuted two years ago and they were clearing out their inventory for 200 bucks. So I bought a $200 smart oven countertop smart oven. Mm-hmm. How much was the June three? Is it 500 bucks? I think it was 600. 600. And I did, there are two upgrade paths and I did the first upgrade path, which includes like a year of service and I believe like half of the accessories that you would get with the premium package. So I'm, I'm excited about it. It will replace my Tavala that I, now that I no longer subscribe to their food, uh, complain about more than enjoy. 
even though I do use it every day. The June doesn't have Steam, though, right? It does June, not have you'll Steam. You'll be missing that Steam function. Yeah, I'll have to do Steam the old-fashioned way and put it in a tray at the bottom if I want anything Steamed. But, I mean, I don't bake enough or take advantage of that feature that that's like the killer function for me. I am interested to see how the new Innova Steam Oven does. One thing that Innova has proven is they are really good at getting people to buy stuff. Uh, they, they are good at building community. Um, they kind of hit a little bit of plateau, I think, with with sous vide. I think there's just a natural plateau to sous vide. You know, five, four or five years ago, a lot of us were looking at sous vide. Is that the new category? I think we all realize that it just takes too long to cook food every day with sous vide. I still do. Like, I've actually been sous eating more during the pandemic, quite honestly. Me too. You know, you guys talked about this on a past episode of the Smart uh, of the uh, Food Tech Show, and I was kind of surprised by the the joint conclusion of the group that, yep, sous vide isn't a thing anymore. And I'm like, I'm using it more than I ever did because I'm cooking more now than I ever did, and I swear. Like, all of my friends that I know have finally come into the sous vide world. Yes, but we all have one now. And then nobody else, you know, there's probably only a set market of so much. And until yeah, you get, yeah. get it down to the regular consumer, um, which I think what you said, Mike, you know, the time element doesn't work for the, the normal person. I don't know exactly what I said on that podcast, but I will say, to your point, Richard, I think there are a significant amount of people still using sous vide. I think it just never broke through. If you want to use a an economics term, they never it never really crossed the chasm right. to like a, a much wider audience. But those people who use it and are foodies and embrace it are doing it more than ever. What I what I actually like is um, I've actually been able to move away from using Ziplocs and plastic. I've I've been using the the uh, the stasher bags. Do you guys use a silicone bag? Are you still using plastic when you sous vide? Yeah, I'm still using the like the uh, vacuum bags. Spend that- twenty bucks, dude. Get a stasher. Get a big one, and it's silicone. I know they say there's no poison in Ziploc. That it's BPA free. I just don't trust it. So I'm I've been using stasher. I feel a little more comfortable with food grade silicone. Yeah, I got to be able to put in the dishwasher. Can I put in the dishwasher. Yeah. You can dishwasher. You can actually put silicone in the oven. It's like an amazing Ooh. miracle material. I know what I'm getting richer for Christmas. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so anyway, you were talking about the Innova oven. I mean, I think that's a really interesting product too. You know, we were kind of competing on on uh, who gets to review that one, right? I think that is going to be a, a really cool product because it's using similar technology to do what is technically sous vide cooking, but just in a normal oven environment on a tray, not this whole bagging thing. Yeah. I mean, sous vide without bags, that's great. Just the the history of that device, you know, they announced that appliance at the first or at the second smart to summit there's there's like three and a half years ago or something like that years crazy. Ago, and they kind of just put it aside i think what happened is they got bought by electrolux got sidetracked a bit right and decided to actually do it probably was in their um their exit package hey if you ever really want to get the full realization of this acquisition you need to deliver on the oven um they brought in scott heimendinger to help it and scott i have a lot of um respect for he's I, I call him the inventor of consumer sous vide circulators. Right. He wrote about that in early 2010. 
So uh, I think they made a pretty cool appliance. Now, I haven't bought one, but I think if I were going to buy a smart oven and spend a lot of money on it, I'd, I'd probably buy that one. Yeah, it looks promising. It also looks very big. Very big. <laughs> I think the next thing is we're going to all need more counter space. We're going to have to redesign our houses with more counters. That's a whole nother conversation. Like my, <laughs> right. Like, my wife was just like angry at me because I every like month or so a new box arrives and she was like, where are you going to put that? <laughs> so. So what else is big, Mike? Well, that giant, the reason I have my W-Labs oven sitting in a giant box is I don't know where I'm going to put it. It's a, it's a monster. Uh, she forced me to put my spin <laughs> coffee maker in my office. So it's sitting right behind me somewhere. And we could talk about the spin. I think I had the opportunity to try the spin coffee at your food tech show at CES. They were there, right? They were there. That's some serious coffee. Like you, you really need to, you need to love the taste of a, of, of a coffee roast, I think, because that gives you some strong coffee. It's not bitter, but it is strong coffee. I like it. And it's European style. It gives yes. you that crema, that crema kind of foam on top, which I think is nice. Dainty. What bugged me at first is I was getting the very dainty sizes. And I'm like, I'm an American. I like to drink coffee by the gallon. Right. <laughs> so I figure out how to supersize it. But uh, yeah, it's definitely, it feels a little bit like a European appliance. And it is. It's made by a bunch of guys out of Europe. That's cool. What else is happening in the beverage space? Well, that whole coffee category, I think, is pretty active. What's interesting there is I think there is a big opportunity to move beyond pods. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I at some point got rid of my Keurig because I just felt so bad about putting all these plastic pods in the garbage. B, the coffee's pretty horrible, just generally. So <laughs> autom- automatic grinding and brewing in one appliance – Actually makes a lot of sense to me because it gets rid of plastic you put into the waste stream. Coffee's just way better. And so there's a, that's kind of a pretty hot category yeah. beyond the spin. Spin's kind of unique because they actually do have like a pretty interesting type of appliance that has some interesting IP in it. Um, but there are a, a few others. There's the Terra Cafe and I think Phillips has a grind and brew. So there's this new category of coffee makers that I think is coming to market that, that grinds and brews and moves away from pods. So I think that's interesting. What I think is funny is like Smarter has had a product out on the market for three or four years now, a grind and brew product that it could be connected or it, it could just operate on schedule. And, um, you know, that's something that's interested me because I'm more of a like, you know, American diner style coffee drinker. I, I, I'm I not into the European coffee thing at all. I like my coffee nice and watered down. So <laughs> I, I think something that makes a more traditional brew is kind of more my thing. So are you a Dunkin' guy more of a, than oh, yeah. a Starbucks oh, guy? absolutely. Okay. I am absolutely a Dunkin' guy. And when you get Dunkin', you get the cream and sugar just poured in. Like That's what I like about Dunkin'. When I go Dunkin', I want that creamy, sugary coffee. No, just one sweetener. Just one all sweetener. That's all, all I right. need. <laughs> so you're like Mr. Coffee Coffee Guy. Yeah, like, pretty much. like that, that brand. Yep. Now, in, in the drink space, I know in the past you were talking about a lot of kind of um, adult beverage drink machines. They seem to be really hot. And then at the beginning of the year, we saw Drinkworks make a really big splash at, no pun intended, CES. And they're 
you know, you, it's funny. Everybody was wondering who is going to be the Keurig of adult beverages. Well, it turns out Keurig and they ended up expanding their distribution because they were limited originally by where they could send alcohol laden pods of liquid. And the, as far as I know, they're pretty much everywhere, but five or six states now. My buddy that I attended the event with in January, his wife had one delivered before we were even home. She was so excited about it. Seriously? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm curious, is this space, like, it, do you think there's still room for people playing in that space? Because I don't hear much about it anymore, except for their product. I think the challenge, I mean, there are uh, a few others uh, out there. But it's largely they've been the biggest and they have the biggest resources behind them. I think the challenge is once you look at the buying the automated device appliance, you have to look at what the cost per drink is. And a lot of these guys are just pretty expensive. I'm, I haven't looked at drinks work pricing lately, but I think it's what four or five bucks a cocktail. I feel yeah, like, at or? least at least I, it's not cheap. So I'm, I'm paying bar prices in my home, right? And so that I think. When it comes down to it, that's always going to be the big challenge is these guys want to get higher economics of what they would get per drink if people just went and bought bottles at their local Costco. And I, I'm just not sure that all of these people will, will be willing to do that. Now, your your friend's wife might just love a drink robot. Like, that's actually really cool. So I think there's a certain amount, certain amount of people that will get an automated drink maker. But I think the... The problem is going to be the unit economics and the pricing for the consumer when they look into it. Yeah, I think I'm I'm waiting for the big expose from Bloomberg that says, well, if I peel off the top <laughs> and pour it over ice and add water and stir, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for their story on, on garage door openers. You know what? You can actually lift the garage door with your hands. You don't have to press a button. <laughs> Okay, that is the perfect analog. I wish we had thought about that four years ago. <laughs> I just talked to someone who was pretty close to the whole, uh, to the whole uh, Juicero debacle. Juicero debacle, and there's just so many things that happened there, and I, I feel kind of bad for them because they had some interesting technology, yeah. and they just got thrown under the bus with that whole Bloomberg story. Yeah, absolutely. It was a total hit piece. I hated that thing. Anyway, we got diverted there a little bit. Anything else in the kind of appliance space before we look at other areas of the kitchen? There are slowly but surely cooking robots making their way to market. They are they're they're not all that different than what you might say a Thermomix is. Thermomix, you know, you could almost call a cooking robot. There's a couple others that are more pot-based food systems, like Oliver right. from Elsa Labs. Uh, they were actually at one of the earliest market summits, so they've been working on it for a while, and they're coming to market. There's uh, Nimble, Nimble's Julia robot, which is a similar concept. So I don't know if you've seen some of the things we've written about at The Spoon about futuristic cooking robots. You know, Sony... And Samsung have this vision of what the cooking robot in the home could look like in the future. We're not anywhere near that. Uh, but I think there are some people trying to make essentially automated, unattended cooking appliances. 
that are going to come to market. You know, there is like a pretty high volume cooking robot called Rodimatic. You've probably heard about the Rodimatic. So yep. they make like flatbread. That's they've done like fifty, sixty thousand units. So. I love that device. It was my favorite yeah. thing out of that year's show. Actually, I thought it was amazing. They wanted to send me a trial unit, uh, and and my partner put his foot down. He's like, "No, that's not going anywhere in this kitchen." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I'd love one of those too. Um, but yeah, I, and it's got a great story. The founder is uh, a woman. She's an engineer, and she just had been making flatbread for most of her life. She's an Indian national living in Singapore. And and as most Indian households do, they make flatbread every day. And it's just really tiresome to make it every day. And she just mm-hmm. decided to make a robot. Yeah, I loved it. Another category I would say that I'm intrigued with is food storage. So, I mean, I've been waiting for better, for, you know, whatever, Tupperware. So, like, why are we still with the same plastic mm-hmm. containers that our parents used? When technology might be able to actually help us tell tell us when our food is going bad. Well, it's even worse than that. Not only are we still using the same thing that our parents used, but if we don't want to use that, we can now go and buy throwaway versions of those at the grocery store. Yeah. So I think that that is a category that's ripe for reinvention. There's a company called Black Bear out of the UK that is making a food container device with a built-in gas sensor. And so that's just a little sensor that tells you when your food is starting to emit gas. And most food, most vegetables and fruit, and including meat, also just emit gas. So it'll say, hey, you might want to pay some attention to your food. It's actually starting to go bad. So I think that's a category that is potentially interesting. And there's a few other stars from that space as well. I've seen a number of those types of devices, both at your events and at CES, usually down in the Eureka Park area. And I'm always impressed by them, but I hadn't seen anything actually hit the market yet. Silo is one. I don't know if you remember them. They were actually doing a uh, basically an airlock device where it takes air out of it. It's like a Tupperware, but just makes your food last longer in the same container. Also has integration, so you can actually say, hey, I'm putting meat in. So um, I think that's kind of a related category. Not only food storage, but uh, an ability to inventory and manage your food. It's kind of the holy grail. They got kind of hung up with China-based delays around COVID-19, but they were getting pretty close. So some of these guys are right on the precipice of shipping their their gear to market. All right. Well, one thing that really caught my attention this past year at CES was the new smart faucet from Moen, the You Buy Moen smart faucet. The other major providers had theirs out. They've improved theirs over the years, and the most recent versions of theirs are are even better than they were before. But what really struck me about the You Buy Moen Smart Faucet, besides the fact that I remember that at the first Smart Kitchen Summit, I interviewed an executive from Moen way before they had product out. And they were very coy about talking about, you know, what kind of smart kitchen thing would they be interested in, in, uh, introducing. But we did talk about the idea of faucets and I think their overall product is pretty good. I'm impressed by it. I actually have one that I've been trying and testing out to review and I love it. The thing that's amazing about it is that it can do temperature in addition to measurements and just turning it on and off and stuff like that. So that's pretty slick. Are there other, other companies making big moves in 
that space, like in the kitchen plumbing and cleanup space? That's really the big one I saw at CES. It's interesting. You tried it and you like it. I think temperature is important. So that's pretty cool. Um, I haven't paid as close of attention to that. I do think just generally standing back from water, I think sustainability and, and kind of being able to add smarts to making your house more sustainable was interesting. So there were a couple innovations at last CES and over this year that are focused on helping to you to reduce food waste, helping to you to do composting more easily using technology. So I think those types of things are interesting. But in terms of uh, smart water, smart faucets, I think the Moen announcement was probably the biggest one I've seen this year. And so it's cool that you actually got to try it. Do they are you, Have you actually installed it when you say you, you just put it in your home? Yeah, I installed it in uh, my kitchen sink. It was cool. a piece of cake to install. I mean, ridiculously easy. I actually did my whole last episode of Home On with the product director from uh, that division in Moen. So um, I dive deep in it there if people are interested in finding out more about that. But I'm very impressed by it. I, I like it quite a lot. I think they did a good job. Adam, have you tried any of the faucets or the smart water stuff? I have the same you by Moen in, in my house as well. I was, uh, maybe a little hesitant, um, because I, I have some inside baseball. We worked with Moen on their shower product. Mm. Um, and I was maybe a little salty because we got cut out of the faucet project. And, uh, also <laughs> like, you know, everything I look at there, I'm like, we could have done this better. You know, yeah. we, we could, we would have done this differently stuff like that. But I, I agree with Richard. I, I like it. You know, I think they did a good job on, on the kind of the, the high level stuff. I don't see a ton of huge, like the measurement thing for me and the, the voice assistant piece of it doesn't really do much for me, but I think one of the things they nail, which is always important for a, a smart product is the, like the non smart, non app, non voice experience is really good. And to what Richard said about temperature, there's also a temperature indicator in LED on the on the faucet. So, like, um, one of the things I'm doing a lot of in the pandemic is um, thawing frozen meat. And so, like, I can make sure that the faucet's actually hot before I put my, you know, frozen chicken in a, in a bowl and then make sure it's at temperature to, you know, sit there for 30 minutes and thaw. Overall, I like it. Uh, the motion sensing piece is really nice. Washing hands more and things like that. So, it, is there scald patrol control on it? I know yes. that. Like, okay, that's one of the things yeah. I think would be cool for for parents, for example. Right. Yeah, you can. So there are two things that you can do to aid with that. The first is that you can set a maximum temperature that it will allow. The other thing that you can do is you can set the temperature that it will start at when you just wave your hand over it. So if you just tell it to turn on, or if you just wave your hand over it to start it, then you can either have it be hot, cold, or an equal mix. Right. And that's exactly what we did. We did it that equal mix setting. And so then when the kids use it, they don't ever use the handle anymore. They just use the motion sensor and it's always at, at the good temperature. Yeah. It's slick. I'm really impressed with the product. I think they, they did a good job. And, and if you find the right use case, Adam, for the measurement, like if, for example, I don't know if in your household you bake much, but when you need a certain amount of water for a recipe or something like that, 
it or or a science project even it ends up being so much easier than going and and looking for the measuring spoons or just doing the thing with eyeing the water level in the measuring cup so that sort of thing is really nice i set up a a preset to fill the pasta bowl, to fill the sous vide tub. So it, you know, I have the perfect things defined there. And I, I learned on my episode that just came out that they have a program for washing your hands, which is pretty slick too. It just pours water immediately and then it goes off for a little over 20 seconds. And then when the water comes back on, then you're supposed to rinse. It's pretty slick. Nice. I don't know. Did we pretty much cover what's going on in the in the gadget space, the gadget side of the smart kitchen, Mike? There's lots of different. I mean, we could just spend hours and hours going over different products that we're seeing. Lots of activity in Kickstarter. Uh, there are. I wrote this week about a, a product called the Aurora Nutrio, which is a smart cutting board, which actually has a. Uh, uh, basically a food sensor in it can actually a spectrometer basically does molecular analysis of what the food might be and, and can give you some nutritional information on that. That wasn't the one that was like, Hey, thanks for your money. Uh, we're going to take longer and now we want more money. Was that that one? No, these guys are a couple guys out of Germany. They're, they're a new startup. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, th- I don't think that was that. Oh, that 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 one that Chris wrote about this past week. Yeah, I think that was something cut cut box or something. But yeah, you never want to go back and ask for more money. Never a good idea. <laughs> yeah. That will not work well. The comment section will not be pretty. That's why I literally will not back hardware kickstarters anymore, unless it's from like a reliable you know company that has a history of shipping. But there's a couple that I I lost money yeah. on that I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do simple hardware like. I, I've been backing Mycin, which is one of these new cookware brands, and they do great. Like, I just got some new, uh, some new pans from them, or great. But like, it's it's simple technology; it's not super complicated. Like this, I wrote about this cutting board. Like it, they're they're talking about a spectrometer or an AI, and 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 there's like two guys in Germany. I'm like, I would never give you my money. I'm not sure you guys <laughs> ever. I'm not sure like that's a product Google could be able to get out on time, let alone you guys. So. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Yeah, one of the things that I did want to mention before we end this part of the discussion is that what I have noticed is that it just seems like the idea of building smarts into products is just becoming the norm. Like, and, and we knew that this would eventually happen, but every brand now seems to have some sort of smart capability, whether it's their own homegrown stuff or a partnership with a brand that offers services or a combination thereof. You know, we see companies like SideChef and Init built into a bunch of different products. I even learned today, I learned about this, and apparently this has been there for a long time in prepping for this show, that LG ovens offer the Tavala programming cycle, that they have a programming cycle there that they can cook Tavala foods with the Tavala uh, app in the LG oven, which I think is fascinating. And then, of course, June had that interesting partnership with Weber Grills earlier this year where uh, they're working together. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting. And I'm almost more interested in that, in that licensing of 
of shared technology services as opposed to every company trying to do their own thing with stuff that, frankly, they're just not historically good at doing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I I think you got to have a bigger conversation about what is smart, right? There's so many ways in which technology can move the cooking experience forward. If it's just an app that turns it on and off, I'm not sure. I think that's like a lot of the the Gen 1 products were. Oh, absolutely. This last year at CS had a new, they had their Kitchen Hub 2. And what they did is say, hey, we have this microwave. We're going to have a built-in microwave. But what if I we take the screen, the glass, big glass on front of this, and make it a, a, a video screen, a capacitive touchscreen? So you can not only, like, see cooking structure, but it just made a lot of sense to me. That big piece of glass that you can look at, you don't generally even pay that much attention to when you're looking at the microwave. I open my microwave to look at stuff. I don't look through the glass as much. Um, I think that's like really smart. Refrigerators have so much more improvement they could do with technology. Oh, yeah. Why are they, why are they not telling us uh, when our food is is expiring? Why don't they take better inventory? I mean, I think the the Family Hub refrigerator um, from Samsung pretty expensive. I don't know if I'd buy one, but I think at least I'm glad they're trying to push that forward because I think the, the refrigerator category could come a lot further. So. Um, so I think it's a bigger conversation. Like, what is smart? How can you use technology to make cooking food management better? And I think there's so much more room for that. I still believe in that thesis. I think the biggest problem with those big, big appliances is like that stuff that you're going to have in your house for 10, 15, 20 years. And so you either need to have a way to make the technology in it upgradable as you go or, you know, you definitely have to make that base experience, regardless of the technology, great. The likelihood of those things getting obsolete is is very high. So I think that's where a, lo- yep. a lot of hesitancy lies. How many times do I have to say this? Don't brick my fridge. Right? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, th- th- I, this is my biggest concern with stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and to be honest, you know, you and I have had this discussion, Adam. I had this very discussion with Mason from Moen don't brick my shower, right? Like that's my concern about the shower thing is that that's a permanently installed fixture kind of thing. That's a, that's a long life device in my home. Same thing with a refrigerator. I'm concerned about that. Um, you know, I'd be less concerned. I think if the recipe capability that I had in an oven was no longer supported because the company went out, because that's something that you could get any recipes in there, right? That doesn't, if they're, and particularly if they're doing it with third party services, even if a licensing deal ends, they could come up with something new and potentially introduce that. So I am curious to see where it goes. But yeah, it's, it is, um, it's evolving. I guarantee you a couple years from now, if we have you back and we're still doing this, we're going to talk about how smart fridges aren't there yet. I guarantee you. <laughs> What do you mean if we're still doing this? What do you what are you talking about, Richard? You're gonna be doing this for the next decade. Okay, good with me. You can't quit you can't quit till the smart home is finally done. <laughs> <laughs> Which will be never. Will be never. All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break and when we return return, we're gonna talk with Mike about the recent Smart Kitchen Summit and upcoming event and some more general trends in the food tech space. All right. So Mike 
uh, you recently held the Smart Kitchen Summit, but this one was a little bit different. Uh, it was a virtual event. How did everything go? Well, it's never quite the same when things are virtual, especially when it comes to food. Uh, I've, I've noticed no event platforms have built themselves out to where you can actually smell and taste food yet <laughs> over the internet. So that's always a downside. But I will say, um, one of the cool things about virtual is you can go into people's spaces and, and experience things you might not be able to see. So we did some cool stuff. We took a tour of the modernist cuisine kitchen. The, the head chef there uh, took us around and showed us how they did the modernist pizza book. Um, we went into a lab where people were doing cultured cell-grown seafood. So there are some downsides, but there are some things and experiences that you can do. And so it was overall pretty a success. We had people from all over the globe. We had uh, more people than we normally would sign up just because it was virtual. And uh, But yeah, we're hoping at some point we get people back in rooms. But I don't know about you guys. I don't think, I even think 2021 is going to be pretty soft for in-person events. I just think people are going to take a while. Absolutely. Even, even if we get to the point where it's more possible to do that, I think people are going to be, as much as people want to get the hell out, I think people are going to be very conservative about doing large conference type events for a while. Yeah, and I think, you know, us as a business, and we're sort of looking at it as we look at trade shows, and it's like, until we can know that the attendees are going to be there, we really don't want to put the money into it. Um, so there's, you know, I think that hesitancy will lead to um, less less big events anyways. So, um, but for, for Smart Kitchen Summit, um, you know, what were some of the things you learned from, from doing a virtual event and what were some of the highlights? Everything was impacted by COVID. I mean, that's not any surprise. Every Every part of our business and every part of our lives is being impacted, but you know, there was a lot of conversations about restaurants. What's interesting is COVID is accelerating things that were just moving in fairly slow motion, like digitization of restaurants, uh, online food delivery, grocery, online gro- grocery shopping, all these things that we just kind of saw growing a couple percentage points a year, just saw massive surges just being forced upon us. And so, the kind of the, the upstream impact of that was, well, all these new businesses uh, or opportunities are, are arriving. The guys that are doing online grocery delivery, you know, their businesses uh, have, have been impacted. Um, restaurant tech has been a really hot category. So we had like uh, folks from the restaurant tech space talking about that new category of restaurant uh, and kitchens called, you guys have probably heard of ghost kitchens. Mm-hmm. It's kind of seeping over into the business press a little bit. So the ghost kitchen space where, you don't need a physically connected re- uh, restaurant in a neighborhood. The food might be made somewhere else and it's just delivered to you. Uh, with so many people ordering food through apps, um, that might be like a, something you order from a ghost kitchen. Just looking more broadly, the really hot area where a lot of the venture capital is going is just in the reinvention of food. I mean, we're at this unique point in time where food science is just really matured and We've also seen with the pandemic that like traditional factory farming and animal-based agriculture is a real potential vector for disease. I mean, that's where COVID came from. So there's been a ton of venture capital. And by ton, I mean billions of dollars pouring into new food, like alternative proteins, obviously plant-based, but things like lab-grown meat 
And so that's an area that we just continue to increasingly cover at the spoon. And that's spilled over into our events. And so we're talking about that. We've talked about a smart kitchen summit. We're going to have more dedicated events focusing on that. So that was kind of a big ramble, but no, no, no. You know, it's funny because we were going to ask you a lot of those questions. The food investment thing just has me, uh, I, I don't know. Shocked is not the right word, but you know, I see so many companies out there with good products, other, you know, products. Of course, I focus more on consumer products and smart home and, and, um, electronics and stuff like that. I see so many companies that are struggling right now and could really use and, and have good product and could use an investment and infusion of just like a couple million bucks to get through. And you see things like, oh, $200 million given to, you know, alternative chicken nuggets. Seriously? <laughs> Like, <laughs> I don't know, Richard. Chicken nuggets are pretty important, and we need to invest <laughs> properly in them. Well, I mean, I understand that we need to come up with new ways of feeding people on the planet, but it just it reminds me of the tech bubble days when the the numbers that I'm seeing in that space are just astronomical. Where there are so many areas in the tech space that could use an infusion of money that are largely being ignored right now because they're not hot. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is the, the calculus is you look at the total available market for for food. It's not that different than transportation. You see massive <laughs> – And it's everybody. You see massive <laughs> tr- investments in, in autonomous transportation. I think food's like a similar category. If we if we think that – if you believe in global warming, if, if you believe the population is going to reach 8 or 9 billion in 30 years, like we're going to need lots of new food sources. And so I think the, the venture capitalists are looking at that calculation and saying, hey – we want to be in on that new food. And so if it's plant-based burgers, um, I mean, a lot of people are just seeing impossible and beyond. Like they think that's kind of the bit, but there's just a lot more like really interesting science that's happening. Um, using fermentation, using lab, you know, cellular agriculture. So yeah, it is big money. I agree with you though. It's like, it's kind of eye popping sometimes, uh, how big the investment rounds are. Absolutely. Um, and can we just say that we all agree that McPlant is a terrible name? Horrible. <laughs> my son was mocking it. My dad, he comes in and he goes, Dad, McDonald's just announced their plant-based burger. It's called McPlant. Like he's, I go, is that good, bad? He goes, oh, it's so bad. It's terrible. So he's just going to laugh. It's absolutely terrible. So you mentioned that during the summit, you did this virtual tour thing. Is you know That's something that you might not have thought about doing if you were in a physical space together has has doing this in a virtual environment kind of brought up any other ideas of things that you might be able to do using media even when you do get people back in person because i think that idea is fascinating yeah i mean i think the challenges with in-person events is like people have to get on planes they have to bring prototypes and they might not want to you know we have a lot of people come from China and like they've had products break in customs. So one of it is just simply like, Hey, you can take us to where your appliance is or your device is and your creation is and show us. Um, we're doing a ghost kitchen event in, in about a month and I'm, I'm trying to get two or three of the big startups to take us into their ghost kitchen. Like we've heard about ghost kitchens. We've read about them, but have you ever seen one? I, I have never been in one. So. Like, I'm really excited about these ghost kitchen startups to take a camera into their space and give us a guided tour. So those types of things are just, 
I just realized if we're going to be virtual, let's just go to people's places and check them out rather than just look at a talking head on a, in a Brady Bunch style matrix of faces. Let's actually go, <laughs> let's, let's actually go look at some cool stuff. I think that's a great idea. I love that. Right. Makes a ton of sense to me. You know, you're, you're leaning into it rather than, uh, you know, just being like, oh, bummer. We can't do, ver-, you know, in-person events. Um, now you can actually, you know, really do some new and interesting things. Yeah. Now, re- you know, similarly, last year you did Food Tech Live, live and in person at CES. This year you're doing that virtual. Are you going to be using the same platform? Do you expect it's going to be significantly different from last year's event? Yeah, last year we were in Vegas. We rented out the Treasure Island Ballroom. So we did that two years in a row. And this year, like CES, we're being completely virtual. We are running on the first day of CES. So we're running concurrently on the Monday, January 11th. We think people can multitask and do two things. So if you're at virtual (laughs) CES, you can drop on over to Food Tech Live. Uh, Just open another browser tab. Um, (laughs) you You don't have to walk across the street or get on the monorail. Or anything like that. Turn up that CPU fan. Yeah. We're using Hopin. <laughs> so uh, we, you know, we did a lot of like virtual event software evaluation in the spring and we decided to use Hopin. We were, we were pretty happy in a month or two after that, or maybe three months after that, we were validated a bit when we saw the tech countries using it for disrupt. Um, it's a startup out of the UK that got a ton of money. Uh, just, I think about a month ago, they got more money. So, yeah, we like about we like it because it's it has a virtual exhibit hall, so people can actually have virtual tables and go live. So you can walk walk into the table and talk to someone. Um, it has multiple stages and then has breakout sessions and also networking. So you can actually do video calls, like basically a Skype style or like a Zoom style call within the platform. So that's pretty cool. So we're gonna have like we're using that for Food Tech Live. It's gonna be largely an exhibit focused event. But we are going to have some more programming. So you know at Food Tech Live, it's three hours, just a bunch of tables. Right. In the virtual space, we're going to actually go all day. And part of the reason we're going all day is we want to be able to do, have people in Europe come in the morning. You know, U.S. people can come all day. And then we're going to do late afternoon exhibit session so uh, Asia can come because we get a lot of Japanese people that come to our events. So, oh, yeah. And we want folks from China to be able to come. So, And then we're going to have some programming. So we're going to have interviews from a main stage. So it'll be Chris – or myself or Jen just interviewing people all day long. <laughs> so that's great. That's great. Yeah. And it's free. So it, your listeners should come. Uh, just go to the spoon or go to smartkitchensummit.com and register. It's, it's free for a limited time. We're going to probably end up like giving away a certain amount of the, a lot of tickets and then we may have to start like limiting it. So, and the good news is it won't get overly crowded. <laughs> exactly. There you go. And I don't have to pay for drinks. Because that gets pretty expensive. And you've kind of, uh, I don't know, broken my ability to be one of the last to leave, like the last one at a bar, like I always am there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I can help you be a bar fly. (laughs) You're just going to need to buy your own bar robot before the event and, and plenty of drink pods, Richard. There you go. Well, if we're not locked down, I'm actually going to be back where, where I was and why I missed a bunch of uh, Smart Kitchen Summit this year. I'm going to be back at uh, a rental at the beach for the month of January. So we'll, we'll see if, if, if we're not allowed to go anywhere, then I won't be doing that, but uh, I might be, might be away for this one. So, well, you have Wi-Fi at the beach, don't you? 
I do. I don't know what it's going to be like, but okay. we'll we'll see. We'll see. So how about, you know, you said uh, you mentioned a couple times a lot of different focus at the, the spoon. Um, you know, what's been going on there, especially during this year and covering food tech, uh, you know, during COVID? Yeah, I think a lot of it's been how the traditional marketplaces have been impacted by COVID. As I talked a little bit earlier, restaurant, as you guys know, has probably been impacted more than any other food business. Um, mm-hmm. So we just here in Washington state, and I think in a lot of states are having an, an, another lockdown. So like we actually, I can't go eat in a restaurant now that's massively disruptive to restaurants. And so a lot of restaurants had s- sort of been using delivery uh, with the pandemic. In some ways, it, having a digital strategy becomes a lifeline. So we've been writing a lot about that. It's kind of a, it's a complicated business. It's, it's kind of messy. It's like, it's like ride sharing. There's lots of fees involved. So we write a little bit, a little bit about that side, but there's just a lot of tech there. So the big, there's a big tech stack conversation around restaurants, um, automation, an automated dispensing. You know, we write a lot about food robots. Chris writes a lot about that. So that, that has been impacted to a certain degree. Um, yeah. It's, and then just like, I continue to write about food gadgets cause it's kind of like, uh, what I love to write about. So, um, but there's been some struggles there as well. So it's, there's been a lot of stuff. So I would encourage the old, my old friends at the, at the smart home show that listened, check us out at the spoon. If, if you haven't checked it out for a while and I have a podcast, so check that out too. Yeah, the food tech show I enjoy all the time, and I feel like uh, I'm I'm kindred spirits with Chris during this pandemic. I'm like, yep, nope, I am not going anywhere. I don't have to go. I will stay right here. <laughs> and do you do you even go to grocery stores at all? I go to grocery stores. Okay, and in fact, I probably go out to grocery stores more than I should. Over the last week, I've been to stores like three different nights, largely because I can't get everything at one place now. So we're, we're definitely starting to see shortages again in, in basic stuff um, like chicken breasts and like, you know, core stuff that you want to make sure that you have uh, as food. So we've been, uh, yeah, I've been out more than we need to, but there's no way I'm going into a restaurant. No way, not happening. I, I will eat at home and I can deal with that for the next foreseeable months. The food shortages have been weird, right? I mean, part of it is like COVID related. There's been huge breakouts of COVID at meat processing plants. Tyson, like one Tyson plant had like a thousand cases. It's ridiculous. Right. So you can see the vector of infection in like meat and, yeah. and, and meat processing. Uh, but I was just like, for like three months, I couldn't get diet Mountain Dew. Like they just, so I'd ask the guy at the grocery store, what they're like, yeah, there's just making certain things. Everyone is drinking lots more pop uh, and more soda. Right. Well, and Coca-Cola did the same thing. In addition to their culling of, of less popular brands like Tab and some other things, they also had just completely brought it down to Sprite, Coke, and Diet Coke. And that's pretty much all they were making. I think they were still making Coke Zero, too. And shelves were stocked with nothing but that. And they're finally just starting to bring flavors out again. But I fully expect we're going to see more distribution disruptions over the coming months. So who knows if that'll last, too. 
I think a lot of it was production related from what I understood. And like one of the ones I noticed, I had these very like niche um, whole wheat tortillas I liked that were like, obviously, I think they were mission brand, but they were like a side product. And so when there was a run on tortillas, all of a sudden they said, all right, we're just making, you know, these three most popular tortillas and we're cutting all the side stuff. And I think that's what you saw in a bunch of places across the board. Yep. And it, it's funny you mentioned that because I just noticed like there's a like a rosemary flavored mission tortilla that they weren't making all summer long, and it just showed up in the grocery stores again. Well, I'm glad I could come on the Smurdom Show and get people to talk about tortillas. <laughs> so this really has been like the food show. Well, but see, that's that. I think that's one of the things that's been so fascinating about how you've been looking at this space is your your view and your focus has shifted, not pivoted, but kind of shifted a lot as events have shaped how people look at food, how people consume food, how people use uh, appliances, how people interact with businesses. Some of the most interesting stories you've you've done, I think, are on technologies that are helping people transact without touch. And, and uh, th- that's, that sort of stuff's really important right now. So I'm glad you're talking about it. Yeah, the touchless, the whole touchless thing's been a big story. So yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we typically end our show with a question, and we do have a really good question from Nick this time. Nick sent us an email message to our feedback line, feedback at smarthome.fm, and he said, "I'm interested in the theory and rules behind or and rules based implementation of the." adaptive circadian rhythm lighting you've mentioned a few times. I have white tunable bulbs, Philips Hughes, and a rules engine, OpenHab, but I'd like to know the timing of changes and light temperatures. Right now, I'm just guessing. I need to change things gradually from 15 minutes before sunset to 15 minutes after, and I've searched the internet, but I didn't find much on the implementation. Seems like you've based this off of a blog post, but I don't see it in the show notes and any help would be appreciated. So I did get back with Nick and sent him a link to Matt Corey's blog post. He's the uh, developer behind the Signals app. He has a blog post about how you can set up automated circadian rhythm lighting with HomeKit and even if you're not using HomeKit, he goes through the rules that he uses for those, and they're they're pretty good. The short answer is that everybody does this a little bit differently. But typically what you want to do is you want to start your light in the morning dim and warm, and gradually as sunrise, as you get past sunrise into the day, you want that light to get cooler and cooler. And that's actually a pretty quick gradation that doesn't – that um, – that one happens pretty fast. And then keep your light cool for the daytime so that you can really focus. Getting a little bit more toward pure white in the middle of the day and afternoon. And then around sunset, then moving down. And like what you say you're doing, where 15 minutes before and after, you're gradually changing down to the warmer tones of like 2700 or even warmer that's that's really the right way to do that. And then late at night, taking that even much warmer down to maybe 2200 so that when you dim it, it doesn't end up looking all murky. So that's typically how 
companies that offer this sort of service do it. But again, take a look at the message that we have or the, um, the post that we'll link again in the show notes. I think it was in a very, very old episode there. But Matt wrote out some really good instructions on how you can make that work. Curious if any of you have set this up either manually yourselves or using a third party. I know Hugh has something to this to this effect. I know that LifeX has one that's purportedly very good. I have not. I I was really waiting on the uh, the HomeKit adaptive lighting bit to show up, and um, I haven't uh, VPNed into the Netherlands yet, so I don't have that yet. Yeah, I don't do that but. kind of stuff, so I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, I've noticed some of our, our internet friends have been uh, experimenting with a, uh, yeah, Hugh has that, but you only, they've only rolled it out in the Netherlands so far. So um, some people through the magic of uh, VPNs have gotten that done, but uh, I'm just waiting patiently to, uh, to try that out. But no, I would say that's probably what, what I'm going to try. How about you, Mike? No. I haven't done that. I'm I'm way behind. Like I'm always been way behind you you guys in terms of actually using the stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we all listened to you when when you would talk about the different companies and products, and we'd just go out and buy it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a really good question. Hopefully, that's some useful information, Nick. Thanks for writing into us. And uh, again, if you have a question that you want to ask us, you can either post it to Twitter with Ask Smart Home Show. I think that's right. Is that the hashtag? Yeah, I think so. And uh, we will take it and include it in the show, or you can send it to our feedback line at feedback at smarthome.fm. All right, Mike, this was fantastic. I'm so glad you could join us. I have missed hanging out with you. And how can people find out more about what you're up to? Just check us out at The Spoon, thespoon.tech. Find me on Twitter, at Michael Wolf, just like the name. And uh, yeah, that's that's probably where you can find me. We should probably warn people that uh, you may even be more political on Twitter than I am. So well, you don't have to go there. You don't have to tell them. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think am, we should I'm dialing it back. It's fair it back. warning. It's fair warning, right? Like these are catch-all accounts. They get my thought on <laughs> tech. They get my thought on politics. They get my thought on how well my local store is or isn't doing any day or evening. <laughs> Yeah, there. You probably weren't safe from politics on any of our Twitter over the last <laughs> many months. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, probably not so but much. It's, t- it's time to heal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, it is. Adam, how about you? Uh, you can find my smart home and political uh, rantings at uh, on Twitter at Adam Justice, and uh, keep up with everything my company is doing at ConnectSense.com. Or uh, find the products that we haven't gotten up on that yet on Amazon. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, if only we knew some really good web people. Hey, um, yeah. Adam, how can people get stickers? Yes, uh, we do have stickers, and uh, we'll put a link in the to a form in the show notes. Uh, but basically, yeah, if you buy one of those new products and leave us a review on Amazon and fill out the form. We'll send you a Smart Home Show sticker, and uh, Mike will send you one since uh, it is your old show, and and you need a sticker. (laughs) It seems like you should have a Smart Home Show sticker. I feel like I should. (laughs) All right. Awesome. 
Thanks, guys. Well, the Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, which is a collection of tech-focused podcasts that includes Home Tech FM, Mike's Food Tech Show. It's not called Mike's Food Tech Show, but The Food Tech Show (laughs) with Mike and Chris and Jen and Home On, my other show at the Digital Media Zone. And as I mentioned, if you have feedback or if you want to see our show notes, you can get them to us at smarthome.fm and our email is feedback at smarthome.fm. Find our shows everywhere you're looking for shows. And if you like it, do us a favor, leave a rating or review, but more importantly, tell a friend. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.